0: roughly uh speak following the the human life cycle as an order here but we're going to jump around a little bit today we're going to talk about birth control and genetic engineering which have a lot to do with the beginning of life of course and then next time a subject that um i've done a fair amount of work on um in vitro fertilization and you'll notice that next time um you're reading is uh, outside of this main textbook here, because they don't deal with in vitro fertilization much. Um, and then the following time, we are going to deal with abortion in current debates. And um, I'd like you to really get hold of the argument that Bauma et al are using, and we will react to that, and as well as um, what John Frame presents um, in, in his appendix And then on that uh, occasion, the Lord willing, I'm going to show you a a very interesting uh, video, which is uh, one of Bill Buckley's firing lines, um, where he interviewed uh, the Harvard law professor, Lawrence Tribe, who has written a book in which he proposes a a way to reconcile pro-choice and uh, pro-life. And we will, of course, react to that. Um, so that's, all of that is to do with really the beginning of life. And then, um, we will jump way over into, um, the, uh, the end of life. However, today, just to confuse things, in the second hour, I want to show you, uh, a video, um, from Chestnut Hill Hospital, where I work on the Ethics Committee, which has to do with, um... The um, the giving of organs, and this really should have to do with the middle or end of life. But I have I have the tape with me, and I have to get rid of it, so it's going to change our um, it's going to be anachronistic. But anyway, you'll see why it fits. So let's uh, begin by talking about the whole area of birth control and. I'd like to examine the arguments that are used uh, by Bauma et al. in their um, in their chapter um, seven, having children and caring for them, becoming and being parents. Um, This chapter is not simply about birth control, of course. It contains moral positions which indeed um, apply to uh, questions like in vitro fertilization, artificial insemination, and, and, and so on. And, um, and I'd like to examine not only what they say, but how they set the argument up. And so, so we want to notice the, uh, the structure of their argument. They, they begin, um, of course, um, with this r- remarkable verse of Scripture. Um, the first reflection uh, of the author after the fall about procreation <clears throat> when the author had said relatively a lot about it before the fall. And it's the verse in Genesis 4.1 Now Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And um, as you, uh, as you know they take this and they they go from that to new versions of procreation, and um, they um, kind of have this little little quote here um, about Louise Brown, who, as you know, is the first uh, successful uh, child born of in vitro fertilization. Now Gilbert Brown took his specimen bottle and filled it with sperm, and the sperm was placed in a little glass dish along with an ovum which had been surgically removed from his wife, Leslie Brown. And behold, after the egg was fertilized, it was implanted into the wall of Leslie's uterus and grew. And she bore Louise Brown, saying, I have gotten a little girl with the help of Dr. Steptoe, Edwards, and, oh yes, God, a really tubular, non-tubular little girl for sure. Now, um, this is meant to be, of course, a great contrast to the, um, to the biblical passage. And... Um, And they point out, in a way, it is a tremendous contrast. In another way, um, this is not the first new version of procreation. Um, And they estimate not not, nor the last. Um, And the reason they say that is because there are many varieties of new versions of procreation. Um, And uh, some of them, of course, are highly technologically assisted, others are simply variants on the standard biological procedure. They quote um, the idea in Exodus of the midwives, um, and then um, they talk about the fact that um, begetting becomes more and more under human control. Until today, it's possible to intervene at a number of different points of the reproductive process in a number of different ways. the, the fundamental way in which they argue is by setting up the two m- most common modern standards of ethical decision making. And then they take those and they compare them to the use of those two in a Christian way. Um, and then, of course, they move on to uh, the whole area of covenant uh, parenting. And uh, stewardship of children, and so on. And um, I think I, I would like us to comment on this. Uh, what are what are the two uh, the two great themes that they use from modern ethics? Okay, the uh, the word they use is that. I think you're right about that. But the word they use, yeah, freedom and utility. And indeed, um, they they had a, a pretty nice little summary of um, how that those two. Were since Kant um, the uh, the major um, themes of ethics, and you probably know from other courses at the seminary here that um, we tend to look at Kant as a watershed figure who um, tried to set up a a system. An epistemological system and an ethical system whereby you could believe in absolutes without having to submit to revelation. Um, And of course much of the history of philosophy since him has been in reaction to that, uh, either affirming it or affirming certain parts of it or uh, disagreeing with it. But in any case um, the principle of freedom, which for Kant is autonomy indeed, Um, and utility um, are both in a kind of unhealthy dialectic in in much of modern ethics. Um, uh, I say unhealthy because at times they seem to be in conflict. At times when they're together, they seem to be very powerfully um, anti-Christian approaches to, uh, to ethics. But the important point to remember is that Most modern people who who are not strongly dependent on a Christian worldview will evoke freedom and utility when talking about medical ethics and when talking about procreation in particular. And much of the debate that has gone on, not only about birth control, but about in vitro fertilization and, and artificial insemination, of course is in terms of, of freedom and, and, and utility. Um, now, uh, they, they take these two um, very strong themes in, in modern ethics and they try to treat them in a Christian way. Um, how well do they do that? Is that a good way to proceed when dealing with um, the matter of birth control and um, various forms of, of artificial um, insemination and so on? How, what is your evaluation of, of their argument? Well, I that I didn't But looking at the Bible's perspective, the Bible acknowledges human beings, I believe, are saying about it. I mean, it's there, but do not a whole lot of direct comments on it. And also, it doesn't want to say a whole lot. I mean, certainly it's there, but it doesn't seem like the Bible is written very, at least in the utility, so it's very strong now. Okay let's that's good let's take one at a time let's take the the freedom one um and um the bible doesn't say a lot about freedom i i guess in in the sense that you can't find many many verses which elaborate a doctrine yeah um however there is i think there's implicitly a fair amount about it um is the what in what way are the biblical notions of freedom quite different from the Kantian um, idea or the you know just the modern idea? Whether you've been able to read this stuff or not, it, you probably could could establish that. Um, and how well do they set up the contrast? What's the diff- What's the difference? Well, the, what's the difference that they point out between m- freedom in the modern sense and freedom in the in the theological or biblical sense? Well, let me uh, read it for you because uh, it's quite well put, I think. On w- on 183, uh, children, um, they they say. Freedom itself um, is better understood in the Augustinian fashion not as the unconstrained choice of a neutral agent to will what he will, but as the capacity of an agent precisely to establish a self, to set that self upon some good, to determine an identity in one's choices, and then to will and to act in ways consistent with the established self. Um, now, that, all that language comes down to meaning that in the Kantian sense, freedom amounts to being a neutral agent, that you are here at a crossroads between choice A and choice B, and that there is no intrinsic um, reason why you should choose one or the other. You have to come up with one, and it might be utility, it might be you like it better, it might be a great moral thing. but The point is that you, in the modern idea, you're not already inclined towards one, and that's very different from the biblical sense. And the other point is that freedom is not so much a positive, but a negative value. In other words, it's not so much freedom within a structure to do the good, though, you know, that's not totally excluded, but it's, Negative, that is, I am not bound. I am not uh, a slave of circumstance. I can um, overcome something, and I can take this on. Um, now, that, all of that has half-truth to it, but it, it's very important to see the difference, because let's take, well, what are the theological implications if freedom is what the modern view is? <coughs> you know, let's say that Adam... Is your your ideal type. Um, if freedom were the modern sense of the neutral agent facing options, how would we evaluate Adam's choice? Okay, why? True. Okay. Well, but even beyond the consequences, what would it be? How, how do we view God setting things up that way? Yeah, he, he becomes the author of evil because he's placed the person in a position where a wrong choice is a real possibility. Now, in one sense, that's true. In another sense, it's not true. God didn't say, Adam, here's this option, and um, look, uh, I'd prefer you did this one, but you know, it's up to you. He didn't say that. He said, look, this is a very specific thing. You are already in, in obedience to me. Now, to prove for my greater purposes your total allegiance, I'm going to give you a, a test. Um, but there's nothing in the environment nor in your nature that inclines you to fall. Um, if you do fall, you die. I so That's a very, very different thing. In other words, the idea the freedom that Adam had was not as a neutral agent to kind of take an option, but it was freedom to establish himself by doing good. As they put it here, um, the capacity of an agent precisely to establish a self, a set, to set that self upon some good, to determine an identity in one's choices, and then to will and act in a way consistent with the established self. Now, I think they go a little overboard on the self business. I, I think freedom in the biblical idea is much more the human person's obligation uh, and and joy to do the good but it's not primarily establishing a self. Uh, th- th- there might have been something of that in Adam's choice, sure, because he, he would have grown to recognize evil and eventually he would have come into that consummate bliss which reformed theology talks about that, that wasn't the same kind of happiness as it, that he already had. but. <coughs> I think this, this, this is a little bit too emph- too much emphasizing the self, but the point I think is right, that um, it's very different from the, from the modern idea. Now, this may raise the question in, in, in your mind, um, it should raise the question in your mind, how can you be free if the only idea of freedom is already determined what you're supposed to do to be free? And... and That's a hard one because we're so used in the modern context to think of freedom to do what we want as over against constraint. We have a hard time with the biblical idea that freedom is doing God's will. That's a completely different idea of freedom from um, the modern idea. Um, Yes, in a fallen world we do have this other kind of freedom. We can sin, but that's not the essence of freedom. That's not what God wants for us when we get to heaven we won't want that kind of freedom even if we were given it but we're still free the angels are free even though they can only do good and that, that's, a, that's a jarring idea for, for the modern mind you know. Um, but it's the biblical idea that the essence of freedom is self-determination according to God's will not uh, neutral choosing of options uh, because we're not neutral now, why do they contrast these two, and why, um, how, how does this relate in their argument to having children and to birth control? Very interesting argument here. Well, think about it. Um, let's take the easier questions first, um, only relatively easy to ask. What, what biblical evidence could you amass for authorizing birth control? You know, I mean, on the surface, it looks like it's kind of a funny idea. You, 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 you're told to have children to multiply You're told that life is sacred, and so on. Um, You're going to argue now that you can have a limited number, or space them, or or whatever. How would you? How would you use what you know from the Bible to defend such a position, or is it just indefensible? One thing I think about it is the Bible emphasizes responsibility. Okay. So you look at ourselves. Are we, an, have we reached a place where we can responsibly care for children that God would have us care for them, and we should not have more children than we can responsibly care for, based upon circumstances and internal and of things? Yeah. Okay. And, yeah, Um. The. The. You know yeah. to do just- Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah, that's a, that's I never thought of that connection. That's a good that's a good connection. Do um. How does the idea of freedom. Um, impact as I say, um the um, um. The choices at birth. Because see that's the argument that most people use today for birth control
1: you know we're free we
0: can have as many or as little or none and, you know it's our life and um, what, what they what they do here is they say freedom is important but completely insufficient for determining um, decisions about procreation um, and um, they, they, they say that uh, when you're discussing new procreative powers. The burden of proof should not be borne only by those who limit freedom, but also those who ignore um, or deny what they call the embodied character of human nature and reduce persons to their capacity for rational choice. I thought that was a very good point, that if, if you have a really biblical doctrine of freedom, then um, you're not going to fall into this idea that um, the, um, the capacity for rational choice is the be-all and end-all of a human being. Um, yes, the human being has that capacity. Yes, it has certain contours and it's prominent in the Bible, but it is not a sufficient principle for determining um, what you're going to do with um, artificial birth or birth control devices because you want to do that according to what God wills and no matter how free you are if God doesn't want you to limit things then you're not going to want to do it of course they they have a different view and and so do I Um, but that they um, I think it's very um, wise to bring in the the freedom issue at the beginning because um, that's where the average reader is going to resist And so they kind of um, tackle that issue first Um, and then they um, they say that as they treat this um, you need to bring in other principles now the next other principle they bring in is the uh, the second one utility okay now how do they how do they handle that those are the two modern themes freedom and utility how do they how do they deal with utility and what is the um, um, what's the essence of the modern utility argument? How's it different from a Christian argument? Right, um, right. The uh, first of all, numbers um, in John Stuart Mill's, you know, ethics based on a number of previous ethicists it's the idea of the greatest good for the greatest number of people and um, sounds wonderful until you realize that justice doesn't always follow the majority and there are individuals who are completely different from the rest who may be right and the rest may be wrong Um, and you do it on principle Um, they also say that uh, utility calculations um, tend to be centered on what people achieve um, rather than um, what people express. Okay? tends to be based on uh, the, the result, in other words, rather than on what people really believe, let alone the fact that it, it doesn't deal with what the Bible says. Uh, and then... They also point out that utility arguments tend to be in terms of risks and benefits. But that's deceptively simple. Now, in the two um, arguments that you, you used just recently, um, that parents should be able to provide for their children, um, that can be a very Christian principle that can also slip into utility if you're not careful, because you're, you're, you can begin to talk about risks and benefits. And who on earth is um, capable of deciding um, what a risk or a benefit is? And, you know, um, we've had so many young couples come to us and and say, "Well, we've decided not to have children for a while you know, because we can't afford them." You know, I'm in graduate school and so forth and so on. Believe me, you never can afford children. <laughs> not, today. not today. And. Uh, it's always exhausting, it's always costly, and um, if you go on a strict risk and benefit, um, you need reasons that are strong enough to overcome the average um, risk argument. Um, and admittedly, today, the risk arguments are, are getting more and more flimsy. Um, but uh, I, I think they rightly say that utility also has its place but the weighing of harms, risks, hopes and so forth is not a purely technical matter and the application of the impartial principle of utility depends on profound convictions about the future and about technology and about parenting and I would add about what the biblical warrant. Um, So, Again, I think that, that is very wise of them to take these two arguments and to try to deflate them at the beginning or at least to reinvest them with, with, with other meaning because uh, they are so uh, prevalent um, and then they go on to technology tec- discussions of technology again what is the what's the major caution about technology as they use right, it certainly is um, good in itself, and uh, technology, despite Elul and uh, Neil Postman and, and people like that mcLuhan uh, is 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 good in itself however they do they do add a, a tremendous caution and it's put rather nicely. of course you've heard all this in sermons and things but um they say that be very careful to go as you go from can to may you know, this is um, I think a real obsession in our modern age um, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it but we can do a lot of things and we can do more things every day and um, does, that, does that mean you, you should um, this, is, this is a really difficult one because the 18th century idea of progress would tell us that the road to the good is by simply um, exploring all possibility and then um, when that possibility has become an actuality, well the question is solved just do it you know but um, you then uh, get into you know trouble when you see people producing cobalt bombs and so on and, and in in the in human reproduction, of course, it's the same problem. Just because you can produce babies um, in vitro, does it mean you should do it? Now, I'm going to argue next week that there are certain cases where it can be legitimate. Legitimate, but um, they're. I think they're right to ask the question, um, and they're also right to raise the the very difficult um, matter of. Uh, Control if you want to control what kind of baby you have uh, What what are we getting into? Um, they uh, point out I think it's in this chapter they point out that Now I don't know where they got this. I noticed it wasn't documented. Maybe Laura you can correct them, but they um, They said that on average um, The first child is a, a fighter and the second child is more laid-back um, and they, they, they said, therefore, surveys show that if people could choose what kind of children they'd want, they'd want a boy first and a girl second. And that's a sexist idea. Um, all right. I don't know if that's true. You well, know, I mean, there are a lot of expectations placed on the first child. Not mm-hmm. but... Okay. Okay. Ellen okay. Goodman of the Boston Globe admits all of the most radical women in Cambridge, uh show that the women more... that's interesting it sounds right i just didn't see any documentation on it so i, I just you know i just have a doubt on that cause of studying um, on the yeah the South. yeah trying yeah. mm-hmm. to determine what kind of personality one or go order. Mm-hmm. and that being the case then they go on to show that people of all stripes will want this type of baby first, this type of baby and that's, of course, indeed very, very dangerous. Um, uh, It's dangerous at all, I think, to select what kind of sex your child's going to be, because um, there's a nice balance right now. The women have it uh, by a a percent and a half. Um, But uh, there's this mysterious way in which the Lord provides the earth with about the equal number of each. And um, you start tampering with that, you better really know what you're doing, especially if the reason you're doing it is because of preference. You know. Um, now, they're, they're not excluding all that, and we'll, when we get to genetic manipulation, we'll, sh- we'll show some, some cases where you, you, you might be able to use manipulation for certain good places, but they're putting a very, very strong warning down. Um, careful um, not to use uh, technology as society's toolbox to get what it wants is. I think that's how they put it. Um, so um, moral caution, though not moral prohibition uh, on these things. Um, yeah, I ask a please. please. Without using <clears throat> genetic technology, I mean, this is an issue. Not married, I haven't had to face it, but it seems like if you already have, let's say, a girl child and for a number of reasons, it looks like one more child would be the best thing to do. And there is a thing as far as timing, I mean, when the egg is released in the woman, you can enhance the probability that it will be a girl or a boy depending upon the time of union. Are you saying it's best not not to mess with that at all? Just leave it? It's bacon to to yeah, I guess I am saying that. Um, I, I would not go so far as to say that that's never ever appropriate, but I'm so concerned about what we would do to our world if we began to make such choices for the sake of a little nuclear family, you know. And I, I have a good friend in France um, who uh, who has five daughters, and. Um, Catholics you know and they say oh, uh, Catholics are supposed to have boys you know we've had these wonderful girls and um it's it's been hard you know we've had to marry them all off you know the Catholic so, but um, um to change that to control that would be um, to introduce such a radical um, change in the, in, the, in the way in which you approach having children that I, I think it's very dangerous um, and you'd go from there to start preferring blondes as opposed to brunettes and then you'd start preferring people who are smart to people who are average and um, um, is, that the kind, is that what we want in our society? Do we want a lot of smart people? boy? <laughs> Mm. That's a good point. If they wanted a boy and they got a girl. Yeah. Do they try and force that girl to be a yeah. boy and, and we've seen that happen a lot. I mean, it, with cases that we know, parents, you know, who desperately wanted a boy and they get a girl and they they, they name the girl a boyish thing, they, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, they go on then to argue exactly the way you are that um, parenting is not only a matter of Um, developing the children's freedom but of developing the parents freedom and in their definition that means conforming their ego to God's will and so um, um, the idea of of the gift of children from God um, is um, is a gift that is for the sake of the children but also for the sake of of the giver Um, and uh, the, the agents of the gift, the, the parents. Um, and and um, this is, a, I think, a, a, a good argument for um, the fact that as you make your decision as parents, um, you want to be careful that you are being utterly fair to the child. And the only way to be utterly fair to the child is to be clear yourself morally, to be ethically clear, and to be on the grounds of, of wanting God's will. Now, that does not directly answer birth control or in vitro fertilization, of course, or, or, and that's not the intention of this chapter. But those are the kind of uh, foundational principles whereby they, they, they set this up. Um, when, we, um, when we get to the, the specific discussion of, um, in vitro fertilization, we will we will want to consider what circumstances lead a couple to um, to go to that extreme. And of course, the major circumstance is is infertility, and um, and I'll be spending some time talking about what that means biblically. Um, and they they did not uh, spend much time on that here. Um, I suppose most of these people are Dutch and they don't have much problem with infertility. I don't know, the Dutch have these big families, but they... Um, um, I think that that would have been a very important thing to add here. Um, but their, their, their thrust is, is good, even though I felt they emphasized a bit too much the, 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 uh, the ego side of, the, of, of freedom. And uh, their thrust is to show that having children or the spacing of them and um, the freedom to have fewer of them um, is a much larger question than whether or not you'd prefer boys or whether you'd prefer to have uh, enough money to pay for their tuition or whether you'd prefer to have two or three. Um, it's, a qu- it's a question of um, conforming to God's will, um, of, of re- respecting the gift both of the child and of the uh, giver, and the social constraints the social needs um, and uh, and uh, that, that that fuller picture and um, so I, I think it, it has a lot of um, a lot of wisdom here um, and um, uh, they, they, they do talk about how um, the the people who have children are not the only people who have children the people who don't have children can have children by adoption by ministry by all kinds of, of ways, and it does, again, just because you don't have children doesn't mean you have to desperately go after means that give you those, though I, I think you can make a case occasionally for that, for that, to, be, for that to be true. Um, any, any questions about, about their, um, their approach? Um, th- their conclusion is rather a modest one. Um, they say that they lack the wisdom to settle some of these moral issues, uh, but, but they say wisdom um, is, is what you need, caution and wisdom. Um, caution born of humility rather than fear. And um, then they, they say they're going to show, in that, that means restricted freedom and restraint of progress, but also um, who, um, who the players are and, um, and so on.